Topic of our Dhamma talk this evening is abandoning. And the Pali technical terms for this are Pati Nisiga or Pahana. Now, abandoning is certainly in the sense of nisajana, namely a letting go of something, a rejection of something. And certainly as such, it certainly is opposed to hanging on to something. The Pani term for this would be sajjana. Now, the Pali term Nisajiya, which is certainly related to Bhatti Nisaga, is used in the Vinaya, namely for a particular monastic or disciplinary procedure where the unlawful possession of some item by a monastic then will lead to having to give up that certain item, so to abandon it. Now, the Pali term Pahana also uh, is stated in the Patisamida Magga, namely the path of discrimination. And Satna there, it Satna refers to the following. Namely, it is by abandoning of the taking of life the abandoning of taking what is not given, the abandoning of sexual misconduct, of false speech, then of backbiting, harsh or rush, uh, harsh or you know, rough fatnet language, and certainly then frivolous or you know, frivolous talk or gossip, of furthermore of covetousness of ill will and of wrong views. The, the abandoning of these aspects leads to what? Sila. Yes, that is correct. Namely, virtue in English. So, when a person decides to abandon unethical conduct such as uh, you know, taking life, uh, etc. Now then, if one is certainly very consistent in uh, this, then what remains is uh, wholesome conduct. And that certainly then is certainly referred to in the Pali scriptural language as sila. Now, in this regard, there is an interesting shorter discourse in the Anguttara Nikaya, namely its fourth volume, uh, section 457, so it's the Book of the Sixes. Now, that Satna discourse is entitled The Training. Because Bhikkhunis and Lay retreated, the Buddha says, there are you know, these five setbacks in the training. And so, you know, the Pani term you know, used here is Sekha Dubalyani. Sekha is the Pani term for training. And Satna Dubalyani, Sekha Dubalyani, when combined, then literally means weaknesses. So, weaknesses in the training. But it's not that the training itself is faulty, but rather in the person who engages in the training. Now, what five? The destruction of life, 
taking what is not given, sexual misconduct, false speech, and indulging in liquor, wine, and intoxicants, the basis for heedlessness. These are the five setbacks in the training. The four establishments of mindfulness are to be developed for abandoning these five setbacks in the training. What for? Here, a retreatant dwells contemplating the body in the body, ardent, clearly comprehending and mindful, having removed or put aside covetousness and discontent in regard to the world. Retreating dwells, contemplating feelings and feelings, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, and then having removed covetousness and discontent in regard to the world. Uh, same thing then you know, for you know, mind, you know, for you know, the mind, so for citta, and so, you know, the same instruction you know, then applies to dhammas. One dwells contemplating dhammas in dhammas, ardent, clearly comprehending, mindful, having removed covetousness and discontent in regard to the world. And the discourse Satna then ends, these four establishments of mindfulness are to be developed for abandoning these five setbacks in the training. Now, what exactly is meant by training? Well, the Pali scriptural term for this is Sikha, and Satna then Satna training is threefold, namely the training in and Panya. Sila Samadhi Panya, in other words, in, in the English language, virtue or ethical conduct, then concentration and the training in intuitive wisdom. Now, that training is also spoken of as adicitta and as adisila seka, namely training in higher morality, as adicitta seka, namely as training in higher mentality, and then uh, training in higher wisdom. In the Pali scriptural language. So, this is a threefold Satna training is, consists of some very fundamental aspects of the Buddha's instructions on how to practice. Now, those three you know, trainings then correspond to three groups, namely the three uh, groups of you know, the Eightfold Noble Path, namely the Sila group, so the Virtue group, the Concentration group, and you know, then you know, the Wisdom group. Now, with regard to this higher training, the Diganikaya, so the long discourses of Fatna the Buddha, contains a passage in uh, discourse number 16, uh, paragraph 4.72. It is through not understanding, not penetrating for things, that I, as well as you, have for a long time fared on around uh, the cycle of rebirths. What are the four? Through not understanding noble morality or virtue, 
through not understanding higher mentality or concentration, through not understanding higher or noble wisdom, through not understanding higher or noble liberation, I, as well as you, have for a long period, long time fared on you know, round the cycle of rebirths. And it is by understanding and penetrating higher you know, morality, higher you know, mentality or concentration, higher wisdom and higher liberation, that the craving for becoming has been uh, cut off. The tendency towards becoming has been exhausted and there will be no more rebirth. Why then would you say is certainly the destruction of life a setback in the training? What would be the reason for this? It's unwholesome. Oh, no, it's an unwholesome activity. Yes. And how does it affect the training? Oh, it agitates the mind? Yes, okay. No, that's certainly correct. So, the Anguja Nikaya contains in its certain very first uh, mm, mm, verses or passages contains the following statement. Virtues are profitable Ananda, so the Buddha speaks to his attendant of many years. Virtues are profitable, they have non-remorse as their aim and non-remorse as their benefit. And when transgressing in one way or another, the result of Fatna this is that suddenly the mind will be agitated, one will end up with a bad conscience, regretting what suddenly has been done or what has been said. By vowing to and actually refraining from avoiding any form of unethical conduct, one saves certain oneself this certain, um, well, unwholesome mental activity of uh, unwholesome and also painful mental activity of agitation and remorse. Now, what applies in the case of taking life then also applies if one transgresses any one of the remaining precepts. So in any case, some um, mental mental consequences will be there. The Dhammasangani has certainly defined virtue as follows, namely, it says virtuousness is not transgressing in action, not transgressing in speech, not transgressing in both action and speech. Now, when the mind is agitated through a bad certain conscience, through remorse, then with such an agitated mind, it will be very difficult to 
carefully observe predominant objects as they are presenting themselves and certainly it will also be difficult for the mind to be concentrated and certainly based on these two it will be difficult to really know the true nature of an object. Now, not only do we want to abandon unwholesome bodily or verbal activities, but we might certainly even want to take it a step further by actively engaging in wholesome qualities. So, even though you know, the precepts are you know, usually expressed in a negative, in negative wording, as Satna Peter Harvey explains in his book Introduction to Buddhist Ethics, yet as an one who keeps them, keeps those precepts increasingly comes to express positive virtues as certain the roots of unwholesome action are weakened. So each precept has a positive counterpart, namely the counterpart of the first precept, the precept of not taking life, is kindness and compassion, so as to be trembling for the welfare of others. The counterpart of the second precept, namely that of taking what is not given, is generosity and renunciation. And as so in other words, weakening greed. Then the counterpart of the third precept is joyous satisfaction with one's own wife or husband or partner, contentment and fewness of wishes. And that contentment is seen in the text as the greatest wealth. Now as for the counterpart of the fourth precept, it comes in the form of being honest, trustworthy and dependable. In other words, a bondsman or a woman of our true truth. The counterpart of Fatna, the fifth precept, is mindfulness and clear comprehension. Now, is abandoning of Fatna, the five forms of bodily and verbal misconduct enough to gain the Dhamma, to break through? It's not enough. So there's so much more that needs to be abandoned. Can you think of something that you feel should be abandoned? Wrong thinking. What's that? Wrong thinking. Wrong thinking, yes. Unwholesome mental states. Unwholesome mental states, yes. Ignorance. But ignorance, yes, indeed. So there's another definition of virtue, and this then is given as abandoning through relinquishing. Nekama, in the case of lust, then abandoning through non-ill will, in the case of hate, abandoning through perception of light, in the case of physical and mental sluggishness, 
and then abandoning through calmness in the case of agitation and then abandoning perplexity by way of determining mental states and suddenly then through insight one then abandons certain ignorance and through gladness of heart Bamuja one abandons discontent. Now gaining the Dhamma or breakthrough is certainly possible only when the mind has uh, achieved a high degree of purity. Now, if we find ourselves at the very, very beginning of our spiritual practice, then the mind will, for most people, very much lack that purity. And so then, a spiritual practice could be described as a process of going from a state of relative impurity to a state of purity. And in order to get to that state of purity, well, there are plenty of things that need to be abandoned along the way. So the hindrances need to be abandoned, then ignorance needs to be abandoned, any form of unwholesome action needs to be abandoned. And in order to eventually attain various certain states of concentrations of various absorptions in order for various insight knowledges to unfold in a gradual and systematic manner and eventually then the realization of the Dhamma takes place. Now, this abandoning is certainly actually still of, or it has still a further meaning, and we shall get certainly to that in a short while. Now, the term Bahana occurs in the path of purification, the Visuddhi Magga, and there, in its 22nd chapter, paragraphs 111, 112, and 122, there's mention of three kinds of abandoning. And those certain three kinds of abandoning are abandoning by suppression, abandoning by substitution of opposites, and abandoning by cutting off. Now, the same Visuddhimagga speaks also five kinds of abandoning. And the first three kinds are identical with the ones just mentioned. So, abandoning by suppression, abandoning by substitution of opposites, abandoning by cutting off. And as number four, we have abandoning by tranquilization. And the last one is abandoning by escaping. Now, you might understand perhaps one or the other, but maybe not quite all of them. Now, 
An understanding of footnote these five kinds of abandoning may be very helpful for a retreatant to understand what is going on in the practice. How actually the mind manages to abandon certain unwanted states. Now, The first type of abandoning is abandoning by suppression, and the Pali technical term for this is vikambana pahana. Could you think of one practical example that involves abandoning by suppression? What gets abandoned through suppression? That is correct. The five hindrances. Now, this is a process that certainly happens time and again, and something we can that happens time and again in the jhana practice. So, you know, when you know, we develop you know, the mind through you know, the meditation of Fatna Kam, and Satna, you know, this abandoning or suppressing of Fatna, you know, the hindrances also happens in the Vipassana practice. Now, you will surely remember the first couple of days of your intensive Fatna retreat here. After a few days, you know, the hindrances would pop up one after another. Now, obviously, at that or such a point, the mind uh, uh, would not be too pleased. Now, by exerting effort, by being mindful from moment to moment, and especially through the power of concentration, those hindrances then get suppressed. Now, suppression here means what? The hindrances will be gone forever? Unfortunately not. And it would be easy if that could be achieved already within just a few days of an intensive retreat. So, as the term indicates, the term suppression indicates already, what we have here is just a temporary suppress, suppression of those hindrances. Now, the Visuddhimagga in its 22nd chapter, in section 111, or paragraph 111, has the following to say, and in particular also gives a, a nice illustration. It says, among these, abandoning by suppression is the pushing back of adverse things, such as the five mental hindrances, through this or that mental concentration, just as a pot thrown into moss-clad water pushes the moss aside. So wherever you know, the, you know, that pot lands on the surface of fitness and um, pond, there at least you know, the moss certainly cannot stay. Now, that initial suppression of Fatna, the hindrances, obviously, then gets experienced as a pleasant experience. However, it will not last forever. And sooner or later, one or the other hindrance comes back, or, you know, for instance, in the third Satna, insight, knowledge, the knowledge by comprehension, those hindrances you know, tend to you know, show again. And not only at that point, but Satna also at Satna even later points in the practice. So that being the case, 
it certainly might be you or it is useful to know that Vikambanapahana abandoning by suppression is the way to apply and certainly the way to abandon those certain hindrances. Now, as the second form of abandoning, we have abandoning by substitution of opposites. The Pali technical term for this is Tadangapahana. Now, this too is of much relevance to us as meditators. Could you give an example for substitution by opposites or substitution of opposites? Okay. That's certainly uh, no, that's correct. Would you still have uh, some more, uh, or at least another example? Well, we when we start uh, with intensive practice, we tend to hold the view or the wrongful or invest in the wrongful belief in the existence of a self. So assuming that a self, an individual person and a man, a woman, truly exists. So we start with this. However, as we keep patiently observing, contemplating formations as they present themselves, physical as well as mental, sooner or later we realize, well, they're just those physical and mental phenomena that are coming up. And that very intuitive insight or insight knowledge understanding namely which is said known as the knowledge of discerning mind and matter that knowledge then uh, substitutes certain the opposite namely in the form of the wrongful belief of a self. So that wrongful belief of a self gets removed, gets abandoned, and in its place comes a correct insight knowledge. Then another example would be not understanding fully we might hold on to the view of causelessness, namely that certain no causes exist. Or we might hold on to the so-called fictitious view. A fictitious cause, certain view, sorry. And that fictitious cause, certain view, usually refers to believing in some supreme entity or some supreme power that is in control. Now, upon carefully observing whatever predominant mental and physical phenomenon comes up in the body and in the mind, we gradually realize what? We gradually realize something very simple. What's that? Cause and, Cause and effect. That is correct. We realize that those same physical and mental formations are connected by cause and effect. And so they do not occur in a causeless manner, in a haphazard manner, nor do they occur because of the power of some supreme being, some fictitious cause. And thus, this wrongful belief in the 
you know, view of causelessness as well as you know, the wrongful belief in some supreme entity, those you know, those certain views get you know, replaced by you know, the understanding of, or by the intuitive knowledge of discerning cause and effect. So that then that makes a big difference. Now, with a further deepening of our meditation practice, it might certainly be the case that we assume or perceive objects to be permanent. When, however, we carefully investigate what is truly happening, then we come to realize what? <coughs> that formations are impermanent. And thus, this understanding of the impermanence of the formations then takes the place of the earlier wrongful perception of formations as permanent. The same thing goes when a retreatant discovers for herself or himself that formations are ultimately unsatisfactory and that newly gained intuitive knowledge or understanding then takes the place, then substitutes this wrongful perception of formations as being conducive to happiness. The same thing then also goes for or it is this understanding of anatta that suddenly then substitutes the wrongful perception of a self that is in control. So basically, each and every of those insight knowledges substitutes some wrongful view or understanding. And as we undertake this practice, we will be experiencing a number of Fatna insight knowledges every time a new insight knowledge has emerged and we Fatna clearly understood it. Every time this happens, some wrongful view or perception gets removed gets substituted. Now, there are still other or, or somewhat related examples, namely a retreatant who in a very direct manner experiences disenchantment, so gets disenchanted with physical and mental formations because he or she is seeing the flaws of those same formations, then that certain disenchantment helps to abandon by way of substitution of opposites the uh, state, mental state of delight. Nandi in the Pali scriptural language. And that Nandi is suddenly then defined as a craving associated with joy. So a rapturous type of Fatna craving. So usually, especially you know, when we don't practice or during the early you know, in the days of intensive practice, the mind has this tendency to delight in formations. Here comes a new sight, and the, you know, the eyes can't get enough seeing that sight, exploring that sight. Here comes some new sound, and the ear can't get enough you know, exploring that new sound, and so on and so forth. However, 
after some time of practice and having carefully investigated the various formations, the mind uh, knows better. And it realizes, oh, well, these are just all physical and mental formations. In the end, they are not really that exciting. And with this, then, certain disenchantment comes up, a revulsion with formations comes up, and that then helps to abandon the uh, uh, delight. Now, as for the third form of abandoning, namely abandoning by cutting off destruction, samucheda pahana in the Pali scriptural language. What do you think? What might be meant by this? What's that? State of enlightenment. Oh, that yes, this is certainly correct. So it's the state of attaining noble um, path knowledge. So the Visuddhi Magga explains this as follows. It says, if through the knowledge of the noble path, Arya Magga, so the path of stream entry, path of uh, um, non-return, Anagami uh, Magga, and Satna then the path of Arahanship, Arahatatna Magga. Through these, through this Satna knowledge of the path, the respective fetters and other unwholesome things cannot continue any longer. And so they they get cut off. Just as a tree hit and destroyed by lightning, so too those fetters or unwholesome states then get abandoned or destroyed. Now, This form of abandoning then goes as deep as the first two forms of abandoning, or even further, much further, much, much further. So here we are talking of a type of abandoning that's um, not only temporarily, but for good, abandons some some unwholesome mental state. Now, when, let us say, skeptical doubt is present in the stream of consciousness, is lingering, is coming up once in a while, and a retreat and practices really diligently, meticulously, wholeheartedly, and then does have a breakthrough experience, that suddenly then will bring about a huge change with regard to the doubt. Namely, that skeptical doubt goes. And it just gets totally eradicated from the stream of consciousness. And in the absence of the mental factor of doubt, can doubt still arise? At least doubt in a world, in a religious sense. It cannot. And so that truly makes certain a difference. Now, it has been written by or certain authors have pointed out in the case of someone who's become an anagami, so a non-returner, and certain who with this certain attainment has certainly been abandoned sensuous greed and ill will, 
if centuries greed and ill will have been completely eradicated from the stream of consciousness, abandoned, well, then there is no more liking, disliking. And that makes a huge difference in life. As opposed to someone who's attained, maybe not attained at all, or attained the first or second path of enlightenment. So with the first and second path attainment, greed, sensuous greed, and ill will will still be there to at least some extent. Now, do we want to content ourselves to uh, the abandoning by suppression? Do we want to content ourselves uh, maybe to just abandoning by substitution of opposites? Also not. So we want to go all the way. Now, the fourth form of abandoning is closely related to the third and it certainly is referred to as abandoning by tranquilization, but the basadi bahana in the Pali scriptural language. The explanation given in the Visuddhimagga for it, this is as follows. When, after the disappearing of the fetters, at the entrance into the noble path, knowledges, the fetters from the moment of fruition are forever extinct and stilled. Such overcoming is called the abandoning by tranquilization. So basically, this refers to the next moment of supermundane consciousness, namely uh, fruition consciousness. So first comes noble path knowledge, and it's just one single mm, moment of consciousness there, and that mm, will be followed by moments of fruition, noble fruition knowledge. Now, with fruition knowledge, nothing is further abandoned. It is just experiencing that state of uh, a state that is free from certain mental fetters. Now, the fifth and most comprehensive form of abandoning is abandoning by escape, nisarana bahana in the Pali scriptural language. And this, the Patisamida Magga, in its first volume, section 27, then explains or defines as follows, namely, the abandoning by escape is identical with the extinction and Nibbana. So, when the experience of Nibbana uh, uh, takes place, then in this experience there is just certain um, well, no, 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 the hindrances don't show up and the unknown mental factors will be uh, not there, uh, etc. So, conditioned certain formations are just not available. Now, the Samyutta Nikaya contained in its fourth volume, in section 16, contains a discourse that certainly speaks about abandoning and this might be of great value to us because it shows the extent to which we are called to abandon formations. It says, because bhikkhunis and lay retreatants, I will teach you the Dhamma for abandoning all. Listen to that. And what is the Dhamma for abandoning all? 
the eye, the physical eye with which we see is to be abandoned. Forms, visible forms are to be abandoned. Eye consciousness is to be abandoned. Eye contact is to be abandoned. And whatever feeling arises with eye contact as condition, whether pleasant or painful, or neither painful nor pleasant, that too is to be abandoned. The ear with which we hear sounds is to be abandoned. And the sounds are to be abandoned. And then the hearing consciousness, and so on and so forth. The same thing goes for the smelling process, for the tasting process, for any tactile process. The mind is to be abandoned. Mental phenomena are to be abandoned. Mind consciousness is to be abandoned. Mind contact is to be abandoned. And whatever feeling arises with mind contact as condition, whether pleasant or painful, or neither painful nor pleasant, that too is to be abandoned. This, O oh retreatants, is the Dhamma for abandoning all. So, if on occasion in our meditation practice we get caught up in some memories or some items of our autobiography, and we all have such items, and actually quite a number of them have accumulated over decades, then the Buddha says what? Abandon them all. And um, this brings us, it's seven o'clock, it brings us to you know, the end of our demo talk today on abandoning formations. Allow me to conclude by wishing may we gradually develop this skill or may we abandon the formations in the five different ways as certainly outlined uh, earlier on and uh, generally stating may we increasingly learn to abandon any kind of physical or mental formation including those certain snippets from our bi autobiography and this is it for now <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.